All right, welcome back to the Audible, and we are closing the end of the season. Johnny, how about that? One more game to go in the NFL calendar, and and it's all said and done. Been a been a pretty interesting year. It's been a very entertaining year. Well, you know what, Bo? I'm just thankful uh, the NFL was able to get to this point. Yeah. You know, there was a number of occasions during the season where we weren't quite sure. You know, you have your fingers crossed with you know COVID-19 and everybody kind of being put on delay and and having guys on different lists and not sure who's going to be available each and every week. It's just a, a pleasure that we're able to talk about uh, the playoffs and now the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay uh, getting a, a huge win and Kansas City trying to repeat. So uh, we are we are at the end and we see the finish line. So it's a good thing for the NFL. Yeah, we've got a lot to get to here on the Audible. So let's not waste any time. And let me remind you, the Audible is presented by AutoNation, America's largest and most recognized automotive retailer. You can save on 100,000 vehicles right now at AutoNation.com. You can also watch the Audible every Saturday night, 7.30 p.m., WFOR, CBS4 Miami. You can also download the podcast from all your favorite streaming platforms and at MiamiDolphins.com. And, John, looking back at this uh, this year for the Dolphins, I think it was a year, and we've talked about it uh, in, the, in the past since the season ended, and kind of towards the latter part of the season, how, 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 how we felt like the, Dol- well, the Dolphins were maybe a year ahead of schedule on this last season. Well, I think the same can be said for, you know, for some of the players uh, that, that played for the Dolphins in, in the entirety. A lot of guys that stepped up and played well and uh, some of the guys that maybe didn't play as well as you thought and some that maybe started off early in the season and progressed and became really good players for you. So time for our look back presented by Morgan and Morgan Law. So let's go ahead and take a look at some of those guys, John, and, uh, and maybe maybe give out our, uh, maybe get our, annu- our first ever annual Audible Awards from John Kajemi and Kim Bocamper, you get absolutely nothing for winning these awards. No, nothing. And they mean absolutely nothing, but we're <laughs> going to do it anyway. <laughs> I'm all for it, Bo. Let's kick it off. All right, let's go with the leadership uh, award. Who, who is it out there that, that you know that, that really steps up and and provides that leadership and 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 gives this team a spark uh, whenever they enter the enter the field. Well, you know, I was thinking about this and and we were talking about it before the show about focusing in on those free agent guys, you know, the guys, the newcomers to the Miami Dolphins. And and I think one guy that brought leadership, not only by the way he played, but, you know, sometimes just being available is a requirement in the National Football League week in and week out. And I thought Ted Karras at center played every snap for the Miami Dolphins on offense. He was a guy that was reliable. He had guys that were you know, kind of breaking down and missing a couple of games uh, to the right and to the left of him. And he just kept plugging along. And he was one of those guys that kind of flew under the radar in free agency because you had other signings and other guys that were well-known throughout the league. But when you, when you play the position of center, you're that quarterback up front and you have to communicate to everybody uh, along the line of scrimmage. And he had Eric Flowers at games, you know, to the left of him. He had Solomon Kinley, a rookie that he dealt with very well. Jesse Davis kicked in from tackle to guard and played there very well. And Robert Hunt did the same thing, playing multiple positions. But I thought Ted was the guy in the center that really kind of orchestrated that group and was reliable week in and week out. So that's the guy I think, you know, at the top of my leadership award, not only the way he played, but he was durable and he was reliable. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give my uh, leadership award uh, to the guy that he snapped the ball to uh, for part of the season, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I, I think just, you know, you, you can see his leadership when he steps on the field. And, and, and I think that, you know, here's a guy that, you know, he talked about it when he was demoted and when they finally decided to, to give two of the start, you know, he talked about it was how heartbreaking it was to hear the news 
but then uh, but then he stood up and, and did the right thing and and continued to, to be on the sideline and, and help out and and then when his number was called uh, late in the season uh, he stepped up and, and gave away you know gave one of the, the great performances out there for the Dolphins and, and and I just think that you know here here's a guy that and John we've all seen it around the National Football League we've seen it in college we've seen it in high school where some guy gets benched or something and all of a sudden he becomes a, a cancer and he starts rounding guys up to be in his in his crew you know, against everyone else. And, and, and I, I just think the way that Ryan Fitzpatrick, as he's done his entire career, um, stood up as a leader and, and, and showed himself as a class act. And, and that's why I'm giving him my, uh, my leadership award, even though he didn't, he didn't play in every ball game. You know what? I'd have to, uh, you know, lean towards your pick because he was a guy that was expected to start 16 games in the beginning of the season. Unceremoniously, he was, you know, relegated to the bench midway through, but he was relied upon, you know, not only at practice, but in big time situations in games. And he's come through uh, as a seasoned veteran at the position. So, uh, yeah, two good choices there, Bo. All right. There have been some big games for the Dolphins in uh, our next uh, our next category. Big game performers. John, who's your big game performer from this season? Uh, there's a lot of guys because this was a team that, you know, was expected to win four or five, maybe six games going in. And to get to 10 wins, you had to have – somebody to come and rely on each and every game in, in certain instances to change the game. And I thought Emmanuel Ogba was that guy for me because he was able to change the way the Miami Dolphins played defense. He was finally able to give the Dolphin defense a consistent presence in the offensive backfield. Nine sacks, he had five passes defended at the line of scrimmage. He played in all 16 games. And he was able not only to rush the passer boat with those sacks, but able to hit the quarterback and really impose his will and make you aware of where he was lining up each and every snap. So as a newcomer to the team, I thought Emmanuel did an excellent job of giving the Dolphins a consistent pass rush that helped out the back end of that defense. Yeah, I'm going to stay on the defensive side of the football and, and go with the X-Man X -Man out there, Xavier Howard. Uh, what, what a season he had, 10 interceptions and – and, and John didn't didn't it, it seemed like they all seemed to come at a critical time where it flipped the, it flipped the momentum of the game. You, you know, it, it just seemed like uh, when he made those plays, it was at, at, a, at a time when looks like things could have been could have could have started going downhill, and all of a sudden comes up with an interception here and there, and made some great catches on those interceptions. And uh, and so so for me to him, guy that did, did all those things and, and played that well. But I tell you, a close second to me. Was uh, would, would be Mike Gusecki. I think that what Mike did this year, and and I think you I think you saw it when he wasn't playing, and when he was wasn't quite a hundred percent. You kind of saw uh, that this this offense kind of bogged down when he wasn't in there, and, and and you know here's a guy that's worked hard to get himself to become you know one of the top five probably tight ends now in the National Football League, and and maybe able to creep up on some of those other guys, but uh, a guy that really 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 improved his game over. Uh, since he's got here from Penn State and uh, and made some really big plays for the Finns this year. Well, he made our passing attack that much more effective, especially utilizing the middle of the field and being able to win one-on-one -on -one battles. I don't know how many times he was able to go up and over defenders, and he made life easy for Tua and, and also Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing the football because you knew that he was going to use his athleticism and his size and that catch radius uh, to be able to outduel defenders going down the field. No doubt about it. Hey, uh, underrated players. I man, you could tell you, there's probably a lot of guys out there that you could you could look at, and, and especially if you kind of if you looked at the way that you kind of had people 
uh, position in the depth chart prior to the season started. There's some guys that, that slipped down that depth chart and some of the guys that climbed up the depth chart that, uh, that may jump out as the uh, underrated player. Yeah, I'm going to stay on the defensive side, and there's really two guys I want to talk about. You know, I think Jerome Baker, no one really mentioned him a lot, but he led the team in tackles again, over 100 total tackles. He had seven sacks. He was sideline to sideline, and he was a guy that just affected each and every play on defense because you didn't talk about him a lot, but you looked at the stats at the end of the game. Now there's Jerome Baker again leading the team in something, you know, whether it was tackles, whether it was sacks, uh, whether it was assists, uh, whether it was passes batted down. And, and then Andrew Van Ginkle. Uh, I think Andrew Van Ginkle was a guy that kind of appeared in his second season and really made his presence known. And I think, you know, he kind of flies under the radar because you're looking at Van Noy and you're looking at Christian Wilkins and you're looking at X and you're looking at Byron Jones. And there's another guy, you know, on the opposite side of Emmanuel Ogba that you had a chip and you had to account for because as the season went along, he got better. Yeah, I'm going to look, I'm going to stay on that uh, defensive side of the ball. And you talk about all the guys and you talk about the secondary with, uh, uh, with, with, with X and, uh, with Byron on the other side and Bobby McCain and all those guys, I'm going to take Eric Rowe. Eric Rowe, who over the last couple of years has, has really turned himself into a, a, a really good safety and a guy that's, uh, that, that who would something that the Dolphins have needed for a long, long time before he came to the, to, came to the Dolphins, someone that can nullify tight ends. And I think he did a, a pretty good job again this year of, of being the guy that is kind of, you know, his, his job is managing those tight ends. And I just thought that he did a, a really good job of it and kind of unbeknownst. I think the other, you know, you can also, you know, I think every year you can kind of look at the, in the defensive tackle position and, and talk about those guys as being underrated because, you know, you, you see good play, uh, you know, from, from, uh, from both those guys that, that, that played uh, a lot of downs or Raekwon, uh, you know, and um, uh, missing Zach Sealer and Zach Sealer and all these guys, all the, but all those guys contributed uh, you know, Christian Wilkins, all, all, but, but, but they, they, they make plays, but sometimes you don't see the plays that they make because they, they don't, they're not, they're not out in the middle for everyone to see, but uh, uh, those guys to me always could wind up in that underrated uh, category. I all think right, you so, hit on a good one there with Eric Rowe, because yeah. we, I think for the last 10 years, we've been talking about tight ends and who's going to cover them. And, yeah. and I think we finally found someone that can lock somebody down. No doubt. All right. MVP. This is the big one, John, and, and you can't give it to me, and I can't give it to you. So let's go out in the field and, and see who we've come up with for our MVP for this fantastic 2020 Miami Dolphins season. Well, since you're out of the equation, Bo, I'm going to have to give it to Xavier Howard. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the interceptions and the way he affected uh, the entire defense, the way they played, they could put, you know, X out on the island, and he, he was just fine. And I think what – his experience this year really showed th true to me as a, as a quarterback looking at the game. He actually baited quarterbacks and, and quality quarterbacks into some throws where, you know, he might have been a step behind, but I think he was playing a little coy where he, yeah. he had the angle and he had uh, the best seat in the house to, to gather those 10 interceptions. And he was the catalyst. You know, he was the guy that sparked that team on that side of the ball, that unit. And, um, you know, I just thought he was outstanding from start of the season to the end of the season. Well, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't throw uh, throw X overboard and, and give it to someone else because the the season he's had this year was just remarkable. He continues to get better and continues to get better. And I know his name's been kind of thrown out there in rumors, but I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see him here for uh, 
for the next five or six years. So it just makes the entire defense better. No doubt. Now it's time for our sit down, uh, amplified by Hard Rock Hotel. And we're very happy to have with us on the program today, columnist, award-winning columnist, David Warren Hyde from the South Florida Sun Sentinel. Dave Hyde, man, how you doing, my friend? Oh, man, anybody throws that middle name and I think I'm in trouble. I, I think you got me. What do you what are you getting me in trouble? I'm, I'm still I'm still in the aura of the presidential elections and stuff. So I'm using middle <laughs> names and, and, and trying to be trying to be like that. So uh, I'll, I'll I'll drag myself down to the dirt for this conversation with you, though, Dave. All right. That, you got to come in the gutter if you want to talk to me, Bo. I'm sorry. There you go. Hey, hey let, let's let's start off by this, Dave. I, I was thinking about this one when, when I knew you were coming on the program. Um You've been down here a lot. You've 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 you know you've you've seen sports. You've seen sports come and go here. Uh, you've seen the beginning of baseball here, hockey here, basketball here, the continuation of of the Miami Dolphins, and now we got soccer. But this year, Dave, how different has this been year been for you in the world of sports, after covering so many things in a town where we're used to crazy things happening? Uh, how crazy has this year been for you? You know, it's been my, it felt like everybody else, it's my strangest year. I'm covering sports, but not going to any games. Right. I'm talking, I'm writing about athletes, but the only way I'm talking to them is, is right here. You and me. You sound like, you sound like Dan Lebitard. Yeah. And he, and he can write, he can make a whole lot out of nothing better than I can. So, uh, you know, I took one trip with the Dolphins to, to Boston, first game of the year to see what that would be like. In, in today's pandemic world. And I realized, you know, I'm getting no more access to players or locker rooms or team officials under because that's, that's the NFL rules and that, that, you know, it makes sense for safety. So I stayed home and watched the games on TV and, and uh, you know, what I really missed was San Francisco road trip, Las Vegas, yeah, yeah. Arizona or Denver, you know, it was a great, it would have been a great year to travel with the dolphins. Well, so. if, you're, if you're like, if you're like me, you, you do that, you know, like all the fans do, you look at the, you look at the schedule when it comes out, and, and they're doing wins and losses. I'm going, oh, here's this restaurant. I want to go to that. <laughs> that's restaurant. right. That's kind of that's kind of how I look at it. Hey, let's talk a little bit quick about uh, uh, about uh, the direction of this this team that that turned them in. John and I have talked about it a lot in the program, Dave. I, I I really believe that this team that we saw this year was the team I expected to see next year, feeling that they they got way ahead of of where their schedule was when they began this re this remake two years ago. Yeah, I think they're ahead. Look, who I predicted them to go seven and nine this year. And I thought that there was a sense of optimism with that prediction. Okay. And, and, and so from, from the record wise, they're way ahead of it. Now you, you break it down and it really still comes down to these young players developing where, where where's this offensive line with three rookies going to be in year two because you expect them to make that. That's a big leap. And you saw what Christian Wilkins did. You saw Andrew Van Ginkle did. Okay. And, and so for this to get where they want it to go, you know, the, 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 there have to be huge progressions with these young players starting obviously as we all know with Tua. Dave, I, I would second that transformation because I, I think it started in free agency last year because no one wanted the Dolphins roster uh, of last year uh, and they found nuggets on that roster they were able to bolster with free agency and in the draft and for the Dolphins to take that next step as Bo alluded to don't they have to hit it out of the park again the same way they have to be able to be smart in free agency 
but be able to be targeted in the draft to, to bolster this roster because everybody's going to be chasing the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the, if, if you look to history of the Dolphins the last 20 years, the, the problems they've had is when they had a good year, 2008, 2016, they thought they were further along than they really were. Um, you saw that the Dolphins in 2008, they took Pat White as a draft pick, sort of a gimmick player rather than, you know, they're still building the meat and potatoes of the uh, what they should have. And 2016, they just thought they were further along when, when they made the playoffs again. So um, if there's any warning or counsel or advice or however you want to look at it is, is you're, they're not there yet. You know, you can, you can see, okay, they need another, as you said, another big off season that they got, but it was set up that way when they did it. They, they put all of their uh, drafts last year with uh, the, what, three first-round picks. And this year, they got lucky with the Houston pick. I, I mean, it was, a good, it was a good smart trade, and then they got lucky on top of that. Uh, with Houston, went from a 26th pick one year when they made the playoffs all the way down to the third pick, which uh, no one could have forecast. But, but now they got a hit on these picks. Dave, you covered – Coach Flores now for a couple of years and, and get to maybe, maybe know what makes him tick or get a little insight or your feelings about him. My feelings are that he is not a carbon copy of Bill Belichick, but a lot of the principles, the, the main principles that he deems important, he's carrying over and trying to build the Miami Dolphins with those. Did you think that he would have success as quickly as he had number one? And do you think some of those principles that he's trying to instill will be lasting for the Miami Dolphins to your point about building it the right way in the off season. Yeah, really. I had no idea what to expect. You know, everybody looks good coming in through the door and we've seen a lot of guys come through the door. Now what he's done, what I like um, the great coaches I've been around the Shula's the Jimmy Johnson's the, the, the Pat Riley's uh, Jim Leland's they are the ones setting the culture inside the team. They don't let, you know, they, they, they have allies and players, but for instance, the previous regime, we're going to go out and sign these veteran players. So no, it comes from the head coach. It always comes from the head coach. And I like that about Brian Flores. Um, the other thing, you know, he hasn't fallen into, I don't know if it's a trap of Bill Belichick or, you know, Parcells obviously with the Belichick tree or Belichick off the Parcells tree, similar idea. What I've noticed, okay, Belichick rules by fear. You know, there is a, and understandably so with his track record, okay? Um, whereas Flores, his ideas, it seems to be to build a relationship with players, to get to know players. He talks about, they're like my sons out there. Okay, you never heard Belichick talk about players like that. And, and so he, his idea is to build a relationship with them and motivate them through that relationship, get to know him and, and, and do it. So it's, a, it's almost a complete opposite way of Belichick. And so when you, when I hear people, well, is he going to fall in the Belichick trap? Well, he, he's a different personality and he, and to his full credit, he's understanding that he understands that. Dave, we, uh, you know, talked about <clears throat> a little bit about, you know, remaking this football team and they're halfway through it. They got two first round picks. They got what the third and 18, they've got uh, two second round picks um, and there's and there's a lot of a lot of a lot of playmakers in coming out of college football. Uh, then all of a sudden, like like is I, I 
I, I don't know why I was surprised. I don't, I don't know why I was surprised that Deshaun Watson pops up and his name <laughs> goes right to the Dolphins. And the Dolphins are right in the middle of, again, of a, a quagmire where you got some fans. They're, now they're jumping off the Tua boat, and they're jumping on that boat, and now it's what's going to go on. And, they're, they're, you know, they're, look, there's a lot of things, a lot of reasons to say, but uh, where do you stand in the middle of that whole, what I'm calling right now is just a snowstorm of information and misinformation with nobody knowing what's going to happen? Yeah, I, I think that sums it up. There's you're, you're hearing one side of the Deshaun Watson thing. Basically, his the agent side is coming out and the team side. My, my thought on that one is if Houston's dumb enough to trade him, and I can't believe they will be because you, you just don't get that type of a quarterback at age 25. You don't give up on – you don't let that go, okay? But if they're dumb enough to trade him – and I, I, I want to be, you know, right in the mix if I'm the Dolphins. I, I, I want to, and, and I get the idea, the hope be Tua becomes as good as Deshaun Watson. And then, since that's the hope, why not go out and get Deshaun Watson right now? And, and well, 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 okay, let me be devil's advocate here then. Yeah. If you, if you get Deshaun Watson, you're giving away all your draft capital for the most part, and you're probably trading a player somewhere along the way in there too. So, so is Deshaun, Deshaun Watson – just trading colors and uniforms, but he's going to be on the same team this year that he was on last year? No, look, you have four picks in the top, top uh, what, 50 right now? Yeah. Okay. So say you trade two of those. And, yeah. I, I mean, if we're going down this road, you're going to trade two of two for something. Yeah. Okay, so you still have a couple picks this year. You're, you're probably going to trade a pick next year for Deshaun Watson. But you have to trust yourself that you would have the smarts to to find some right. player for him, either through free agency or the draft. That, if you go down that road, that's what learn, Dave, I've, I've learned not to assume anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Let me talk uh, about it. Uh, no, go ahead, Dave. As far as, you know, if if you keep Tua, and now you have the, the everything there to build around, what do you do with the third pick? Do you, do you hold on to it and take, uh, you know, Top wide receivers. No, I take two. I take two receivers and a running back. That's me. That's me. But that's exactly just me. right. That's right. Just me. I mean, it, it, you need playmakers at that point, and, and you have the draft capital to do it. You have yeah. some agent money to to bolster other areas too. So, I, I mean, you know, that that seems like a, the more obvious. If you keep two, there's the there's the game plan right there, and it's just a question of okay, uh, Devonte Smith. Uh, do, do you take him with the third pick or? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's pretty simplistic for the Dolphins this year because uh, it's obvious what this team needs. They, they were able to use all their free agency and, and a lot of draft picks on de- on offensive line for draft and free agency on defense. And right now you need somebody to, to make the scoreboard light up and yeah. some help for whoever's playing quarterback. So, yeah, you bring hey, what's your thought? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say you look at the playoffs right now. Last week you, you talk about point. They need points. Uh, both teams over 30 points. Um, and the week before, two of the four teams over 30 points, and the, and the ones that want, weren't, one was in Buffalo, 20 mile, 25 mile per hour wind in the cold, and the other one, Patrick Mahomes got hurt at uh, just over halftime. So uh, you look at to, to advance this far in the playoffs, it, it, no matter how good your defense is, your offense needs to put up 30 points. Well, Dave, we appreciate you taking some time out for us, and uh, you've seen a lot in uh... – 
uh, in South Florida, and you've uh, you've put it on the papers of the Sun Sentinel over the years, and it's been great to, uh, you know, I wish you were a little nicer when I was playing. I don't know if you, you threw me under the bus. <laughs> hey, Bill, I, but I, I'm, I'm all right with it, Dave. You threw me under I, the bus. I apologize. Times. I came at the end of your career when, you know, what was left, really? There wasn't much left there. It was, <laughs> look, I, was, I, was, I was running on fumes. I was I was hoping to get that one free year out of Coach Shuler and down <laughs> out underneath me. But it's a pleasure having you in the program, Dave. Thanks a lot. Good talking Thanks, to you, Dave. Dave. Thanks. Uh, you know what? The championship weekend never seems to let you down. And this last weekend uh, was it was another one for the books and uh, two good games out there. A little bit surprised. I, you know, I, I look. I was 0 for two in in my picks, John. I think you didn't. You were the only one, Bo. Very much better. Than, but I, I really thought that Buffalo. This was a year that Buffalo. I thought they were playing at such a high rate. I thought that Josh Allen was playing at, at such a high level, and that they just had the momentum in their side. They were healthy, and, and I figured this was going to be with them knocking off Kansas City, who was you know a little little nicked up coming in with with Mahomes and and Halari. You didn't know if he's going to where he was going to go there, and all those types of things. But boy, I tell you, was I was I shocked there at Kansas City just kind of slapped me in the face and said, no, 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 we're not done yet. You're going to have to give us better than this to knock us off off the pedestal. So, yeah, a little, little bit of a disappointing game from what I expected. Well, I think it was a, it was a good game for a fan, but yeah. you always had that feeling that Buffalo was a little bit shy of, of matching the talent of what Kansas City could do, especially on defense. I just think that Kansas City has this, has this confidence, this quiet confidence yeah. that no matter who they play – they're going to be able to outscore the opponent and the defense is going to play just well enough that it, you know, if they get into the twenties, well, we'll get into the thirties. It's yeah. not a problem. And I think they played with that quiet confidence early, especially getting down in the first quarter. I, I can still see Patrick Mahomes going to the teammates. Don't worry about it. We're good. We're fine. Cause they're not going to score 31 or 34. Yeah. It'll be okay. And, and they did that. And, you know, as you mentioned, going into the game with, Mahomes in concussion protocol. They had Breland. That was a question mark. He comes back at the cornerback spot. Hilaire comes back and plays a nice role at the running back spot. So I, I just thought Josh Allen was going to play a little bit better, uh, a little bit more in terms of being able to, to elude defenders, but then make those big plays down the field. But it seemed like they had Stefan Diggs on lockdown. I thought Kansas City did a really good job defensively, you know, pressuring Josh Allen into a few sacks that were for minus 10, minus 15 yards. And then that, that offensive machine, they have so many weapons to go to. It's just hard to cover everybody. And with Mahomes making great decisions and using the legs to, to extend plays and find receivers, it ultimately was too much for the Bills. All right. On the early game, John Green Bay and, and Tampa Bay. And I, I don't know, I don't know what to say about, about Tom Brady. I, I, I really don't, I really don't know what to say. This guy, you know, that, that team, you know, not so many weeks ago, you look at that team and you got, oh, they're having trouble. They can't move the ball. You know, Tom Brady's getting frustrated. And after that, all they did was win and win and win. And here they are back in the Super Bowl. Again, number 10 for Tom Brady. And, uh, well, I, I didn't think there was a way – I didn't think there was a snowball's chance that they were going to win at uh, in Lambeau Field in the, in the championship game with Aaron Rodgers uh, coming off the type of year that he had. But, boy, they just, they just took care of uh, – they took care of business on both sides of the football, especially that, especially that, that defense, the pressure they were able to put on Aaron Rodgers. It seemed like all day long um, was just too much. Well, obviously, you know, Tom Brady's one of the best to ever play the game, and he proved it again 
on a team that you're right, Bo, was struggling. They, I think they were seven and five. They were reeling off of a couple losses, and all of a sudden they put it together and found a way to, to gather that momentum, find that that energy that you need at the end of the season to, to get you rolling in, towards the playoffs. And then once they got into the playoffs, they win games on the road, and none tougher than going into Lambeau and facing Aaron Rodgers, who's having an MVP type of season. And they get that big lead, and then you you kind of started feeling like I don't know the. Green Bay Packers had a little bit of momentum. I just thought that that fourth down call, no. I, I don't understand, Bo, how if you have Aaron Rodgers, who's one of the best to ever play, yeah. against a guy who could be the best to ever play, you don't want to give the ball back to Brady uh, with with any time on the clock. you got to shoot your gun while you have it, right? you got to kind of go for the go for the fourth down and, and leave it to your MVP to make a play. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought Green Bay fell short there with that decision. And ultimately, they never got the ball back because Brady's that good and Tampa Bay is that good. But to your first point, I thought Todd Bowles did an excellent job of pressuring the pocket against Aaron Rodgers and really made it difficult for the Green Bay offense to, to get rhythm early. And that was able to pad that lead for the offense, keeping Rodgers and company kind of stymied, you know, in those middle two quarters uh, until they got it going in the end. And, and John, they got uh, they got stung at the end of the uh, end of the first half with a. Well, I don't know why Green Bay, what coverage, why they were in that coverage. Uh, I don't know how you can play, how you can be a defensive back under those circumstances and, and not – is it Kenny King was the was was corner? I don't know how you can not be deeper than the, deeper than the receiver and, 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 and let him get past you in that circumstance to give up a touchdown. Then they come right back again and, and, and put another touchdown on the board uh, coming out of halftime. And for all intents and purposes at that point, the game was over, but uh, well, I tell you, Kenny King, what a what a tough day! And then, and then John, I, the one thing I liked about watching the games on Sunday were boy, they let him play. They yeah, they did. Play. I mean, the first game, I don't think there were hardly any penalties called in that first game, and very few called in the Green Bay game. But at the end of the game, when it really mattered, this phantom, the phantom late call coming out of center field um, on Kenny King again uh, for that pass interference that did really to me. Well, I, I, you know, from the way the games were called all day long, that, that to me, that, that, you know, if, if I didn't know better, I would think that stinks of favoritism on, on towards the, towards one guy or another. Let me put it that way. Hey, Bo, I, I think if you were coaching the Green Bay Packers, I think you would have had King cut at halftime and you would have had somebody else in the game yeah. in the third quarter playing that position. I would have was... dragged, dragged Sam Madison from, uh, Kansas City and had him fly down directly and get on the field. That's right. You know, you cannot, you cannot get beat in that situation. And I could not believe that, you know, they underestimated Miller's speed because he ran right by King and Brady probably thought what's going on. I, that was probably the hardest pass he threw because he probably didn't expect him to be that open in that yeah. situation with, with seconds left to go before halftime. And then you're right. You know, there's been some unusual calls in the National Football League, and especially in those games, they were letting them play outside. There was a bunch of grabbing and, and tugging and bumping going on and no calls. And at the end, I think the only thing that caught him was the shirt flying up in the air, but it yeah. came from so far, it felt like the, the flag came about 10 seconds after the play was blown dead. Yeah, it, uh, yeah it's uh, – but so here it is. You got, uh, you know, you got the matchup. You got Tampa Bay going in and uh, – 
and, and Kansas City should be a should be a really good game, John. Time now for our look ahead presented by Auto Nation, where Dolphin fans can sell their vehicles for cash now. Visit AutoNation.com, John, and uh, big weekend, uh, big weekend coming up with the Super Bowl. Uh, but this weekend uh, that's upon us uh, is is kind of the precursor to um, all the guys that are all the finalists for the Hall of Fame waiting until that Saturday before the Super Bowl uh, to hear their name called. And, uh, um, you know, Zach Thomas is, is again, and he was a he was a finalist last year, uh, didn't get to knock on the door. Um, he's back again. And, uh, you know, I, 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 know it's a, I know it's a tough crop of people. you got some very good player, Calvin Johnson. you got Peyton Manning. I mean, you got some surefire first ballot Hall of Famers in there. But, boy, I think – I think – I think somewhere, somewhere, somehow, there's got to be a spot in Canton for uh, for Zach Thomas to get into, and hopefully, this is the year that number 54 uh, gets his bust enshrined there. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Bo. There's so many deserving uh, players that are going to be kind of no-brainers that are, that are going to get in this year, and I'm hoping that Zach Thomas, uh, this is his year because looking back at his career and just what he did for the brand of the Miami Dolphins in that defense. You know, Jason Taylor uh, is in the Hall of Fame and deservedly so for his play. But equally, I think Zach Thomas was as big a part of that defense as anyone. And the plays he made in and around the line of scrimmage, the, the athleticism, the sledgehammer he brought to stopping the run, and then being able to be as talented as he was to get in pass coverage and, and get his hands on the football. I can still remember that. I think it was a night game where he gets an interception, goes to the goal line, does that front flip into the end zone. I mean, there are so many spectacular yeah. plays and hits that he's made. That was against Tennessee. Game no- I think you're uh, right, Bo. Because Nord gave him a shot. And, uh, right. Eddie and coming from where he started from, you know, and, yep. and where he ended up and meaning so much to the, to the Miami Dolphin fan base, you know, it would, you couldn't say Jason without Zach because, yeah. you know, it was like Pat and Sam on the corners. It was just, it was that type of relationship. And I, I think it's, you know, it could be his time this year. And I, I hope it is. Yeah. You know, he, Zach was a, he was an amazing player and he carried a big stature on the field. Um, but he wasn't a big guy, you know, I, you know, he's not the biggest guy out there. And, and, but well, he, he did a lot of things with his smarts. You know, he's one of those guys that, that, that knew the game so well. And I, I know talking to guys that played with it, with Zach on that defense in that era was, you know, Zach would come to the line of scrimmage. They, they'd come up to the line of scrimmage, get in a formation that someone would maybe zoom or, 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 or you know, or make a move. And, and Zach would call the play. Hey, they're going to run here. They're going to do, you know, and those guys say they just listened to Zach and half the time they, they knew it was coming. And so, you know, he was a student of the game. Uh, he was a fan of the game. And boy, I tell you, with it, we had an intensity. And, 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 you know, you could tell because uh, I can't tell you how many times I was in a locker room, unfortunately in a locker room uh, with he and, and, and Jason and, and all that crew, you know, after losing games. And, boy, I don't think I've, saw, I don't think I've seen very many people take, take losing a regular season game harder than, than Zach Thomas did. It, 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 seemed to, it seemed to rip his heart out every single time they lost. Bo, I think one of the greatest compliments for a, a player at any level, whatever sport you're playing – is when that player is so good that he really doesn't have to say much about his own play. You listen to the players that played against him and you listen to the players that played around him. And for a man, uh, I think Zach Thomas is at the top of a lot of players list in terms of the way he played middle linebacker and the way he played football, the game of football. You know, he, he loved it. You could see his passion. He wore it 
on his jersey and on his sleeve. And every game he was ready to play, no matter if it was the biggest game of the season or it was just, a, you know, a, an opportunity to get better. And you knew you were, you know, in the playoffs or you already, you know, had, had achieved what you wanted to achieve as a team. He was counted on each and every week and he, and he came through and he was always at the starting line, ready to go and at the, at the front of the line. So he's a player on my hall of fame list because the way he played and, and the guys that played against him could tell you. Well, you know, he's a, he's a, he, to me, qualifies, qualifies an NFL hall of famer. He qualifies as a heart of hall of famer in, in, uh, in life, because he's just yeah. a, you know, one of those guys that just does everything the right way. You never hear anything bad about him and getting everything done. And, uh, you know, I, I, the one thing I can remember about Zach, uh, you know, beyond his, beyond what he did on the field was how excited he was when the Dolphins signed Junior Seau. Junior was his, Junior was his hero. Junior was a guy that he, you know, he really looked up to. And boy, I tell you, when, I, I think when, when Junior got here, I think, I think Zach must have had a smile on his face for like a month straight. And he just, it seemed like he couldn't believe that Junior was there. And he was in the same, same meeting room with them on the same field with them. And, and, uh, and that was really, uh, really great to see the relationship between he and the and the late great junior Seau. That was a that was a fun time. Yeah, those those were fun teams to watch, especially on the defensive side of the football, because it seemed like one guy would make a play and then he would raise the bar for the next guy, and they just kept you know pushing each other, and that's why they were so good as a unit. Yeah, and you look at that group, man. There was a lot of a lot of good players on that on that football team at that time, and uh, and 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 every one of them enjoyed have the opportunity to spend with, uh, with Zach. Well, we've had, uh, we enjoyed the opportunity of spending the time with you today on the audible. We've got a lot more coming your way as the season moves along. Uh, so stick around with us here during the off season for John Kajemi. I'm Kim Bocamper. And remember uh, the audible is presented by auto nation, America's largest and most recognized automotive retailer save on a hundred thousand vehicles right now at autonation.com. You can watch the Audible every Saturday night at 7.30 p.m. on WFR, CBS4, and download the podcast from all your favorite streaming platforms and MiamiDolphins.com. That's going to do it. Stay safe this week, and we'll talk to you next time.